Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Teach us to pray. As the ushers are passing the baskets this morning, I want to let you know about something that's coming up in four weeks. Four weeks from now, on August 18th, is a big Sunday for us here at Thrive Church. We've identified three Sundays throughout the year that we call VIP Sundays. VIP being this, that there are people in your life who are very important, who may not know Jesus, who may not be connected in in the life of a congregation, might, might not be in fellowship with other believers. And on these particular Sundays, we've We've set out and made a goal that we would be strategic uh, about reaching out to those people that we care about. Uh, so Easter and Christmas are two of those, and that's, that's just kind of easy ones to identify, Easter and Christmas. Uh, but this one in the fall is, is a little more unique. It's our back-to-school Sunday, and in the past what we've done is we've prayed for over, for over the students and the teachers in our church who are getting ready to head back to the classroom um, but this year we decided, we, we really believe, given the, the type of community that we're in, uh, that, that this could be a real strategic opportunity for us to really see the kingdom of God established here in our city and our community. And so we're going to have, we're kind of going all out. We're inviting uh, the school district, we're inviting the school, super, uh, school district superintendent, um, who, by the way, if you don't realize it, the building right next to us these are the Glendora Unified School District offices right next to us. So we're not only at Sellers Elementary, we believe that God has strategically placed us in a position of spiritual influence to be able to pray over the leadership of our school district. We're going to invite every single person who works in that office, along with the superintendent, to join us that Sunday morning. Uh, we're also inviting Principal Bishop here from Sellers Elementary to come, and we're inviting every staff member, every teacher to join us on that Sunday. So that alone is about 90 people that we're, we're saying, you know what, we would love to welcome you that morning and bless you and honor you during the service. Uh, and in addition to that, we want to invite, uh, we want you to invite and be praying about who you can invite. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the service. Um, but, but teachers, uh, families with children in school, uh, neighbors, invite them to be here that Sunday. Following the service that day, we're going to have a picnic and it's not going to be at Finkbeiner, it's actually going to be here at Sellers. Uh, if you didn't know, right up behind us is a big field and there's a picnic area. And we're going we're gonna to celebrate and bless our community. And so I want you to kind of get your posture right for this. We're having a picnic and we are the hosts as a congregation. Every one of you is now a part of the hospitality team. And Jason and Rosie say amen to that. We are wanting to welcome our community and bless them, which mean it means it's game on for us as a congregation. We're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to hear more details about how you can partner and how you can be a part of that. But one easy way to, is to do this. We're asking for donations of chips, uh, individual bags of chips, uh, cases of water, or cases of uh, soda, soda in the cans. And we're going to start collecting those. If you want to start bringing those next Sunday, we're going to have a space at the back designated for that. We just want to be able to, to receive those and have that ready. We're going to provide hamburgers and hot dogs and all of the other fixings. Uh, the, 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 the church is going to provide that. As At least uh, our, our leadership is, is approved to provide that. But we're asking that you would come and just kind of supplement uh, with, so again, chips, bottled water, and cans of soda. You can start bringing those next Sunday. We're going to have a blast. We're gonna ha we have a, a huge inflatable obstacle course that we're going to have. Uh, there's some guy in our church who has a laser tag business, and that might, that might happen. We're going to have RC cars. We're going to have sports. Uh, there's going to be a bounce house for the kids, and we are just going to love on our community. All right? 
you're, you're going to hear more about that, but uh, we, again, we'll start receiving those donations next Sunday. Good deal? All right, we're almost to the word this morning, almost to the message. I want to do a couple more, couple more quick things. Uh, can we say thank you to the worship team today? Um, it is no small thing to write a new worship song, to write it, to put music to it, to arrange it, to get all the parts together, to practice it, and then to introduce it, uh, and it's top-notch. But I want to specifically call out Maria, um, who it was in her, in her devotion time, uh, she, you know, I'm not a musician, I'm not a singer, uh, and so I don't understand, I don't get this, but what she does regularly is she gets like the verse of the day and then she just puts a song to it each day. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Well, this song was birthed out of her devotion time and, uh, and it stirred so deeply that she brought it to Jacques and the worship team and they developed it and uh, together as a team were able to introduce that. And I think that's our third song now. It's our third Thrive original. God is doing something amazing with our worship team. And uh, so we just thank you. Thank you, Maria, for your, your obedience to the Lord and that. I, I had to warn her that I was going to do that. No, uh, yeah. And then finally this morning, um, God loves marriage. He honors marriage. And um, one of the things I get to do as a pastor is celebrate uh, engagements. And so I invite Tony and Holly to stand this morning. Uh, they were recently engaged, and uh, I, I and uh, and we just want to pray over them uh, as they prepare for this next step in their relationship. And uh, we've got a few months of planning ahead, and I'm sure all kinds of wheels are turning already. Uh, but we're just excited for you. Can we pray for them together this morning? Would you just extend your hands? Father God, we uh, thank you that marriage was your idea, not ours. Lord, that you brought a man and a woman together in the Garden of Eden, Lord, and you've continued to do that throughout the rest of history. And Lord, this morning we pray over Tony and Holly, God, that you would just bless them, that you would prepare the way ahead for them, Lord, that every detail and every part of preparation would go well as they look to that date in November, Lord, when the two shall become one. Protect them and guard them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So make sure to give them a hug today. All right, now you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and then to the book of Daniel chapter 10. Luke 11 and Daniel 10. We are... Uh, at the end of a series on prayer, series entitled, Teach Us to Pray. Um, and it's, it's been a longer series. We've spent a lot of time in this, but the reality is we could keep going because prayer is just one of those things that just kind of is inexhaustible. There's so many facets and, and, and dimensions to prayer and so much understanding that we need to gain in regards to prayer. I think we would all agree, and we've talked about these, this over the last few weeks, that prayer is important. In fact, I would say this. Prayer isn't just important. Prayer is critical. Prayer is critical to the life of the believer. If, if you buy a car and never put gas in it, guess what? You're not going anywhere, unless it's a Tesla, and even still, you still need to put electricity in it, right? It's still, I saw, I saw a Tesla on the side of the road the other day, and I'm like, Dude, you weren't paying attention to that 17-inch monitor right in the middle of the car. Prayer is critical if you're not praying, you're not being filled up, you're not in fellowship and relationship with God. You might have a relationship, but it's not a deepening relationship. And so prayer has to be a part of the life of the believer. And, and I'll say this again, we've said it every week, and it's worth saying again, prayer is relational before it is utilitarian. I think one of the lies of the enemy is he makes prayer out to be just a tool. It's just this tool that I use in my, in my daily life or in my walk with God to get things done. But that's not what it is. Prayer is about a relationship and a deepening relationship with God. And, and that in the midst of that relationship that God meets us in that, and then he moves on our behalf. 
Again, as we've even sung about today, that this is the heart and the nature of God. This is how he works with us in this partnership. So Jesus has this encounter with the disciples in Luke 11. This has been our anchor passage through this series. He says, it says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. The, the, the phrase there that Jesus uses, when you pray, say. We, we have in Scripture models of prayer, kind of frameworks of prayer that we can use. But in this case, Jesus is saying, you know, you can actually pray this per, prayer verbatim. You can say these things, and I think we can incorporate these, these few points that Jesus has in the shorter version of what we know as the Lord, Lord's Prayer. We can work those into our daily prayer lives, but uh, in all the way back to the first message in this series, talked about how there, this really provides a, a, a perspective or a right standing when we come to prayer. The disciples, of course, are watching Jesus pray and going, we want to pray like that. We want what you got. And isn't it great that Jesus was happy to give them what he had? Right? That Jesus didn't have this posture where he's like, you know what, just kind of figure it out for yourselves. Can you imagine Jesus coming to earth, going through what he did, and then saying, hey, you're on your own. Good luck. No, he was happy to say, you know what, I will meet you, and I will teach you, and I will speak to you, and I will model for you this need to pray. And so my prayer for us as a church is that this, this posture of Lord teach us to pray would be one that just continues beyond the series. That we would say, Lord, show me daily. How do I need to pray? I love, I quoted C.S. Lewis a couple of weeks ago when he says that prayer is irksome. Prayer is irksome. He goes, you can have a great prayer time one day and the next day still have a struggle, still feel that challenge to press in into prayer. That it's not easy, that prayer daily has to be this discipline we repress in. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it. So I want to finish this series this morning talking about praying for our city, for our nation, and for our world. Praying outside of ourselves and interceding for people we might never know this side of heaven. People that we might not meet in this lifetime, yet are deserving of the prayer that we can bring before the Lord. Jesus makes this statement, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. In fact, in Matthew 6, 9 and 10, in the midst of the, the longer version of the Lord's prayer that Jesus used, he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can buy into this idea that heaven is a future promise, a future destination. It's like when you book a cruise or a vacation or a trip overseas and you're like, hey, one day I'm going to be at the airport getting on the plane to go to the place that I've been looking forward to going. We can start thinking about heaven in those terms, that this, this future destination that's there. And, and you know, we read the brochures and we hear the stories, but one day I'll experience it. And Jesus' reminder is, listen, heaven isn't just a future destination, it's a present reality that Jesus ushered in and, and tore the veil and ushered in the opportunity for us to experience the riches of heaven here on earth, that his kingdom would be established in our present, in our now, in our circumstances, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our state, in our nation, and to the, to the far reaches of the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Heaven is not theoretical, it's not mythical, and it's not somewhere in the future. And as believers, we have the authority to pray this way, to pray the way that Jesus did concerning the kingdom of God, to make the reality of heaven a reality on earth. I believe one of the biggest distractions to the church of Jesus Christ is that we get busy building our kingdoms and not his kingdom. That we want to establish little empires and maybe not a kingdom, we want to build a little castle. We want to have kind of stake out our ground and make our name known and be comfortable and be protected and say, this is my spot and I'm just kind of biding my time till I go on to that next place. And rather than setting our perspective and saying that our job, that our calling, that our authority as followers of Jesus Christ is to be able to call down and call into existence and, and act out upon the, that mandate that we would be establishers and ambassadors of God's kingdom here on earth. So I want to move through a few points this morning that help us to understand how do we pray this way? Now, now, here's the thing. We could just pray Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, Lord God. Your kingdom come in my neighborhood, God. Your kingdom come in my city, your will be done. But I think Jesus gives us a starting point, and we can press in a little deeper. Not because of our opinion, but because we see it throughout Scripture. We see it modeled in both the Old and the New Testament. And so I want to talk about a few points this morning. The first would be this. When it comes to praying for our community, for our neighbors, for people that are around us and then even people we don't know. There are people in the city of Glendora or whatever city you live in that you don't know. There's about 52,000 people who live in the community in the city of Glendora. I do not know all of them. I was at Starbucks this morning, as is my custom on Sunday mornings. I like to get my... Grande Americano with a splash of heavy cream and my spinach feta wrap, and then that's just my routine. And I sit, and then I'm getting, I get ready for the morning. And but I love being at Starbucks, and I've mentioned this before. The reason I go to Starbucks in the morning on Sunday morning, other than the coffee, is because it reminds me that we're in a community with people who might not be going to church who might not have a relationship with God. And it puts, just gives me this visual of the faces in our neighborhood that I don't know. Now, today was extra special because uh, I was down at the, the Starbucks of, on Foothill, and every time I go in there, there's a couple, an elderly couple who are there, and they're just as cute as all get out. You can just tell, like... You know, you know, and he's got his oxygen tank with him. He's a machine that he carries around. And they walk. I've seen them walking in the neighborhood, and they walk down to, to Starbucks every Sunday. They're there, but I've never had the opportunity to engage with them. Well, I met Jim and Marlene this morning for the first time. And uh, I sat down at the table and uh, next to them, and I had my computer open. And he says, oh, are you doing administrative work? And I said, no, I'm doing ministry work. And we, got, we struck up a little conversation. God loves Jim and Marlene. Now before this morning, I, I could pick them out of a crowd. I could tell you, oh, I know who that couple is just because I've seen them, but I don't know them. But we took an extra step this morning. Now I know their names. And I, and, and I am working hard to make sure that when I see them again, I remember their names because there's something so powerful about calling someone by their name. I don't know every person in this city, and neither do you, but God does. And because he does, my first point, by the way, I haven't even said it yet. We can put the first point up is this. What is the Spirit saying? What is God speaking over our community? Because we, we have access. We have access to the throne room of God. We sang a great song about that this morning. That we can come boldly and hear what God has to say about our city. 
So that when we're encountering people, they're, just not a, they're not just another face in the crowd. We realize that God knows their name. God knows their circumstance. God knows the things that are moving in the spiritual realm over our community. He's aware of the strongholds. He's aware of the brokenness. He's aware of the things that are going sideways in every home, in every business, in every relationship. And so we have to start in a place that says, God, what are you saying? Because I don't know about you, but I'm prone to jumping to conclusions. Anyone else? I see a circumstance, and in my head, I'm like, oh, I know what's going on there. I don't have a clue, and neither do you, because what we see is veiled. What we see is not the full picture, and in fact, we overlay, and we'll get into this. We're, we're going to start a series in a few weeks on, on relationships, and we're going to talk about how our past and how our interaction with other people really affects how we see people. And how we jump to conclusions. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 through 17 says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Say that with me. The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We quote verse 17 quite a bit. I do, at least. I, I, I like that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and so often we apply that to our own lives, which is appropriate, but it's not enough. It's not just for you. That when we turn to the Lord, when any, anyone turns to the Lord, what happens is that the veil is lifted, it's taken away, and we have access to see things as they really are. If we would stop and say, Holy Spirit, what is going on? What are you saying? No, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's my past experience? Or I know what this is. Holy Spirit, what are you saying in this circumstance? What is the Spirit of God saying? The book of Daniel is probably one of the greatest examples of a man and a small group of people who prayed in such a way that it changed a nation in dramatic, dramatic ways. Daniel was taken captive from Jerusalem, from Israel, when Nebuchadnezzar had overrun that nation, he was taken captive and carried off a lot. What, what, those, what the, the nations would do and conquering king would do, he would take captive all the young men and he would put them into servitude, into, into bonded servitude, so that essentially so that they couldn't rise up a new army and come against them. So they targeted the young men. And so Daniel, and we, we know about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, uh, who that was their, their uh, Babylonian names were taken captive and, and we're familiar with the story of uh, the three uh, in, the, in the fiery furnace and of course Daniel ends up in the, the lion's den. Um, fair, to, fair enough to say that they didn't have an easy go of it. They faced some serious, serious challenges taken captive, not in their land. Yet God gave them favor and God gave Daniel favor specifically in, 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 in such a way that he served at the pleasure of the king. That God gave him favor, that he was elevated to positions of authority. Daniel 10 verse 1 says this, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now, this is towards the end of the book of Daniel. This happened to Daniel with, with some regularity. As you read the book of Daniel, you understand that God talked to him a lot. And, and here's what's kind of cool is a lot of what Daniel saw freaked him out. There are times where he had visions from the Lord. It says that he just turned pale. He turned white. All the blood just drained from his face because he, what he saw was more than he could handle. And God was okay with that. Because he didn't call Daniel to fix the problems. God was firmly in control. What he was saying is, Daniel, I'm going to remove the veil so that you can see things as they really are. So that you can pray 
and you can take your stand. And so over and over and over, Daniel has this relationship with God where he just keeps going back and saying, God, what are you saying? He was open to hear from the Lord what God was speaking over the community. And as such, he becomes one of the greatest examples in Scripture of a person used to affect change for a nation. I mentioned that he served multiple kings. As you read through the book of Daniel, a couple of things that are a little confusing. The names keep changing, and some of the names are, there's kings that had two names, and so you have to figure out which name they're using. And then it's not chronological, so you start the book reading about certain kings, and then it jumps back to kings that had already died, and so you've got to kind of keep those things uh, in perspective as you read, but it's, it's definitely an amazing book to read. So we know that he served with Nebuchadnezzar, who had a dream and couldn't interpret the dream, and all the wise men came, and they couldn't interpret the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar was ticked off, ticked off so he's like, just kill all the wise men. Because I guess that was the response. If things didn't go your way, just kill them all. Just wait. And Daniel pleads on behalf of these wise men who don't know the Lord. And he says, don't, don't kill them. I'll interpret the dream. And so, of course, he interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar elevates him, puts him in a position of authority, puts him over uh, the, the rulership of a region and becomes this man that has, is trusted. But then, of course, there's the opposition that comes from those who don't like him. And, and, and it's in the midst of this that we have the three young men who are opposed, and they end up in a fiery furnace, and God preserves their lives. Uh, King Darius is in there, King Cyrus. There's all of these kings. But the thing that never changes with Daniel, he never stops seeking the Lord even to the detriment of his life. In fact, that's what gets him into one of those circumstances where his life is being threatened. When he was told, you are not allowed to pray, that you need to worship that statue. And he says, no, there's no way. There's no way that I will pray, I will seek the face of my God. Why? Because Daniel was stubborn? No, because Daniel knew this. That my connection with God is my connection of wisdom, of understanding, of revelation. I don't have, I don't possess anything. It's not me who interprets these dreams. It's not me who has this wisdom. God gives it to me. And so I'm not going to sever the connection that makes that a reality in my life. And so what ends up happening with him is that he prays fervently even at the risk of his own life. He listens to the voice of God through visions and dreams and encounters with angels, amazing ways that God reveals himself. And then he speaks God's word boldly, and he doesn't back down. So much so that at one point, Nebuchadnezzar gets up and says, listen, all of the other gods are fake. Daniel's God is the one true God. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. That is a nation being changed from the top down because one guy had the guts to stand up and recognize what God was doing. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, it says this, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today, will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. What was Jesus' indictment against them? That they just weren't paying attention? No, it's deeper than that. What he's saying is, listen, you who are the most religious, who go through the motions of worshiping God and praying In other places, he says, you stand on the corner and you make these loud prayers so everyone can hear you and think how great you are. And in the midst of that prayer, you are actually disconnected from God. So much so that you can look at the color of the sky and predict what's going to happen, but you can't look around at the world and, and actually realize what's going on around you. But you can. You have the opportunity. You just don't. That God would say to us, Stop just looking at the news. Stop just looking at your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed. 
and basing your decisions about the culture and the community and the state of what's happening in our nation on what other people are saying. And we become this giant echo chamber where we just we hear one person say something that kind of gets us fired up and then we just keep repeating it or reposting it to get other people fired up without ever stopping to say, Holy Spirit, what do you say? What are you saying? And so right out of the gate, our prayers can be misguided because we're actually not paying attention to the Spirit of God. So we have to start in a place where we say, God, what are you saying? What is the Spirit saying concerning our city, our community, our neighborhood? You can pray that over your street. God, what are you saying Regarding this street, my neighbor to the left and to the right and across the street from me. Spirit, what are you saying? Peel back the veil so I can see clearly. Second thing is this, that as the church, as the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to repent on behalf of the community. To repent on behalf of our community. Second Chronicles 7, 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from, hear from heaven and I uh, will hear from the heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears too attentive to the prayers offered in this place. We can and we must stand in the gap. That we have the opportunity to take responsibility for the things that are broken in our nation, in our city. A few years ago, I was in Haiti on a missions trip and I was with my friend Benit, who's a pastor there. And um, Benit is deeply bothered by what he sees in his country. That Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. And I've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of places. And I remember the first time I got off the plane in Port-au-Prince, that, that the spirit of heaviness and oppression in that place was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. And I've been to some broken places. Haiti takes the cake. I have never been in a place that is so without hope, where the people are just so resigned to their lot. And in the midst of this, there are men and women and churches and pastors and leaders, my friend Benit being one of those, Brian Avey being one of those. Benit has this passion to, to peel back the veil of his brothers and sisters in Haiti so that they can see something different. One of the things you notice when you get into Haiti is it's, it's just trashed, literally. Everywhere you go, there are piles of garbage in the street, everywhere. There's still a mess left over from the earthquake that happened so many years ago. Things haven't been cleaned up. And no one takes responsibility to clean anything. So I say all that to say this, this one day him and I are driving through Port-au-Prince, and Benit's, Benit's a funny guy. He, if you ever meet him, and, and I hope you have the opportunity at some point, he, he's, um, let's just say he's not shy. He's not shy. He's also one of my favorite people to go out to lunch with, because this man enjoys food, unlike anyone I've ever known. But he's not shy, and so we're in the car, and and walking down the street, a guy, they, they, they drink water out of these little plastic pouches. They bite off the corner and they drink out the pouch. And we're, we're driving and there's a man walking right next to us and it's Haiti traffic, so we're not going very fast. And the guy finishes it and throws it on the ground. Well, there's trash as far as you, you can see. He just throws it on the ground. Well, Benit proceeds to roll my window down <laughs> and yells at the guy. Don't do that. Pick up your trash. And I'm thinking, dude, I just want to melt into the chair. I'm like, 
Don't do that. Pick up your trash. And the man turns, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. He turns and he goes like this. And he just simply says, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And keeps on walking. When it comes to us repenting on behalf of a nation, I think what we've done as the church is we've said, it's not my fault. And here's the thing. One little plastic bag at a time and a nation is in ruin. Because if you get enough people saying, it's not my fault, disaster is at the door. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand in the gap. Well, I didn't do it. I didn't break it. You hear the pride and the arrogance in that? Because you kind of did. You played a part. And what we do is we judge ourselves in light of other people's sin and go, I'm pretty good. And God goes, no, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And if we would say, Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours, that we could repent on behalf of a broken nation and say, God, would you heal our land? God, I repent on behalf of a nation that has turned on its back on you. People who have walked away from you, who have said that good is bad and bad is good. God, I repent on behalf of my nation, on, on behalf of my neighborhood. If we would take that responsibility, God will do something through that prayer, both to bring healing to us, but to release the Spirit of God to do a healing work in our nation. Back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 16. Listen to Daniel's prayer in regard for a nation that isn't even his. He's an exile. He's a captive. This isn't his country. But listen to his prayer. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look on favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O our God, and hear. Open the eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Here he's praying for the city of Jerusalem and other places he prays for the people that he's with in the place that he's at. But over and over and over, as Daniel gets deeper revelation from God, his response is this, God forgive us. God forgive us. God forgive me. God, we messed up. God, we've forsaken you. God, we've walked away from you. God, we're not doing and living the way that you've called us to. And he takes responsibility. Can I tell you, if you want to have great impact and matter in the kingdom of God, it's got nothing to do with how many people follow you on Instagram. That we have traded this idea that for, for, of impact in the kingdom for notoriety in this world, and they're not synonymous. If you want to have great impact on the kingdom, get on your knees before the Lord and cry out, not just for your own needs, but on behalf of people that you will never meet. If we will humble ourselves, that God will lift us up. And finally this morning, respond to the Spirit's call. That as we come in prayer, as we seek His face, as we say, God, what are you doing? As we repent before the Lord, that God will speak to us and say, hey, I'm calling you to action. I've got something I need you to do. And I can say with confidence this morning that applies to every single person in this room. That God has a job for you to do, that he has called you to be here for such a time as this. That you exist in the place that you're at, in connection with the people you're in connection with, at the job that you're at, in the church that you're a part of, for such a time as this. 
I believe that one of the reasons that we fail to pray and really press in in prayer is that I, somehow I'm not responsible for what I don't know. But you are. Try driving over the speed limit and getting pulled over and telling the cop what I didn't know. Guess what? You're getting a ticket. Right? You're getting a ticket. God, I didn't know. He goes, no, no, no. That doesn't work that way. That we have to press in. We have the opportunity to pray and press in and say, God, what is it you're calling me to engage with? So we need to pray specifically. Specifically, I think we can pray shotgun prayers that kind of have this, okay, I'm going to pray this broad prayer. But then there's got to be like this rifle, arrow, laser-focused prayer. Pray specifically. Pray over specific issues. God, what are you calling me to pray over today? And pray specifically. Specific places. There are strategic places in our community. Go, go pray at City Hall. Even better, I think it's the second and fourth uh, Tuesdays. Might be, I have to confirm this. First or third or second and fourth Tuesdays of the, the month are the city council meeting. Um, show up at a city council meeting once in a while. And just sit in the back. And don't be distracted by everything you hear because they're interesting. <laughs> but pray. Just be a presence of prayer. Go pray at the, pray at, uh, at the police department. Don't, don't make it weird because it's the police department, but, but pray. <laughs> We're on this campus for a reason. We're not here because we can't afford a place of our own. Can I tell you, if God wanted us to be in our own building, we would be in our own building. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got everything to do with strategy. Did I mention that the school district office is right next door? Yeah. So God, we pray over that office. We pray over every decision that is made for our children in this community. God, we pray for wisdom, for your truth to be present and revealed in Jesus' name. Pray over specific people. God bless my family. Oh, that's good. But how about write down their names and start praying specifically over the people in your life? And we talked about this. Don't pray what you think needs to be prayed because your perspective is off. God, I pray that you would just tell them what... No, that's not... <laughs> Remember, go back to the first one. God, what are you saying about my family? And start praying specifically. Just pray over specific people. Pray fervently. Develop a plan. Develop a plan and then work the plan. Pray the plan. And I tell you this morning, lives depend on it. Lives depend on your prayer life. Eternities depend on your prayer life. Pray fervently. And then fast. Fasting is key for us in our prayer lives. And I think it's one of those things that's Americans, we don't do well. What do you mean I can't eat? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll fast TV. Come on. Come on. Now, listen, for some of you are like fasting TV. If, you, if fasting TV is hard for you, there's other issues at work. But why fast food? And I'm speaking, I'm not fast food, but why fasting from food? Why? Because it, it creates a physical response that reminds us of our need for God. That we need to be a people who fast and pray. Jesus, in Matthew 9, has an encounter with the disciples where he'd been praying over a demon-possessed man, and the disciples had to try to pray over the guy, and, and it didn't work. And so Jesus steps in, confronts the, the, the demonic power, the man is delivered, and then in the kind of the debrief meeting afterwards, this is what happens. It says in verse 28, when they had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? What's up? And he said to them, this kind can, only, can, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. We have authority in the name of Jesus. And we can claim the name of Jesus. But I've got to tell you, 
to be in a place where you are not prayed up, where you are not pressing in prayer and pressing into the Spirit of God and hearing what He's saying and being fervent and diligent in your prayer and then to walk into a situation and just go, in the name of Jesus, is dangerous. It's dangerous. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to freak you out like, oh. but listen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the principalities and powers that we, we fight against are very real. And they are not without power. And they're aware of the consistency of our lives. And that the enemy wants to come against us. And so, yes, we have authority. But here Jesus is saying is, before you confront these issues, make sure that you're pressing in in prayer and fasting and getting yourself ready built up, ready to take your stand because you better believe if you push, the enemy's going to push back. Yes, we have the authority and yes, we need to claim the name of Jesus, but not without first getting on our knees and pressing in. And this is God's call to his church. Let's get serious about this. Let's make this a reality, a part of our lives. And then finally this morning, we need to act. We need to act. The church, God's idea, His body, placed strategically all around the world. And like I already mentioned, you are here for a reason. You're not somewhere else. You're here. You're in the neighborhood you're in for a reason. Well, the rent was affordable. That's not the reason. Well, I like the way it looked. I like the, and the amenities. That's not the reason. God has placed you where you are, whether you know it or not. And now you do. And now he's saying, do something about it. Act. See that there's this partnership, there's this merging between the, the, the Spirit of God and the practical outworking of His power in our lives. This morning I met Jim and Marlene. It seems kind of innocuous, like, oh great, you met a couple. And I look at it this way, no God, a door just opened wide open. And I can't wait to see them again. And I can't wait to sit down and have a conversation and hear about their lives and, and start doing something with what God has given me. And you can do the same, whether that's learning someone's name or getting up on a Sunday, I mean, on a Sunday morning or any morning for that matter, and walking around your neighborhood before you come to church. But do something. Daniel stepped up and said, King, I'll interpret the dream. He could have been kept quiet, but he didn't. When the opportunity arose, he said, you know, I can, I can add to this. And he jumped in. And a nation was changed. As you partner with the Spirit of God, a nation can change. But it requires you through prayer, through a sensitivity to the Spirit, through repentance, both for your own sin and for the sin of a nation, to then come to the Lord and say, okay, God, what are you calling me to do? And that we would rise up and act that way. Can we stand together as we close? Actually, I've got one thing I need to do. As, as you stand, we're going to act on something. We have these VIP cards. Uh, they're getting passed out right now. What I'd like you to do this morning is take one of these. Don't fill it out now. Um, but take it with you. And we'll have these available again over the next few weeks. On the front side, it says back to school. This is just a reminder for you that this is coming up in four weeks. Back to school Sunday. On the back side of it, it says VIP prayer card. And it says write down the names of five families uh, or friends who are VIPs, very important people, who are students or teachers, who you would like to pray over for the next four weeks. There's a place for you to write them down, their names down. So it could be uh, specific students. It might be a family who just has a number of kids, maybe a, a couple or a family that you know from soccer or a baseball team or some other context. Maybe it's a teacher that you know. And, and the goal with this, let me just be clear real quick. 
The goal with this is to identify people who you believe either don't have a relationship with the Lord, who are not currently in fellowship in another congregation. We're not looking to invite people from other churches to come join us. Okay? And you can pray for whoever you need to pray for, but this is specifically geared towards people who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. Amen? All right. And then over the course of the next four weeks, there's some checkboxes. These checkboxes are, are designed to just help keep you on track. I would say this, write those names and then probably stick them on the mirror in your bathroom. Because I think every one of us probably looks in the bathroom mirror at least once a day, right? If, if you tuck it away somewhere in your Bible or something, you know, you're, you're probably going to not see it. If you put it on your fridge and those people come over and they're like, whoa, what's this? That could get a little awkward. So my suggestion, put it on the bathroom mirror, and when you see it, just pray. Just pray. You can take a step further, by the way, and put a reminder in your phone throughout the day to pray. And then about a week or so, a week and a half out from VIP Sunday, from that back-to-school Sunday, as you've prayed, if you do, as you've done the diligence of praying for that person or for that family, then reach out and invite them to come and join us. We're going to honor teachers. We're going to honor the kids. We're going to bless them as they start a new year, and we're going to have a big celebration. And we're believing that God will reach our city. This is just one way that we can act as a church on our responsibility to engage with our community. Amen? Let's hold those cards before the Lord this morning. God, we ask for every name that will be written on every one of these cards. You know their name. You know their circumstances. You know exactly what's going on. And so, God, this morning we ask, I ask that you would bring revelation, that you would bring, Lord, those names to the forefront of people's minds and of their, of their lips, Lord God, that they would be able to write those, name, those names down. And God, we ask over these next few weeks as we pray that we would, Spirit, we would hear what you are saying. God, that we would get on our knees and repent for the sin in our land. God, that, that we would move in step with your Spirit to act be diligent, to be strategic in our prayer. We give you praise in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.